Hello and welcome to The Tally Ho, our podcast all about classic cult TV show The Prisoner, with me Eason and me Bex. And today we have a special bonus episode, which is all about the Titan Comics release of The Prisoner Original Art Edition, which collects the two original adaptations of the first episode of The Prisoner, Arrival, that were done for Marvel Comics in the 1970s. One written and drawn by Jack Kirby, and the other written by Steve Englehart and drawn by Gil Kane. Yep, so first up we have an interview with editor from Titan, David Leach, who was responsible for overseeing this project and getting the book put together, and that's going to come up in a minute. And after that we're going to talk a little bit about what's in the book. Now this collection is a real labour of love, I think, for uh, David himself. Uh, that really comes across in the interview. And it's really exciting that after so many years when there have been rumours of these original projects floating around, I think occasional pages have turned up in, you know, in various sources online, etc. It's really nice to actually have them finally published in large format in one of the biggest books I've ever seen. <laughs> um, it contains sort of uh, facsimile pages of all the original uh, artwork. And it's it's just tremendous to see something which we've heard about in the world of The Prisoner for a very, very long time, but we've never had a chance to see. And it's been collected in a really beautifully presented book with loads and loads of really cool extras. So without us prattling on any further, this is our interview with uh, David, who put the work together. <laughs> We're delighted to be joined once again by David Leach from Titan Comics, who is behind the publication of the Prisoner Original Art Edition that brings together the work of Gil Kane and Jack Kirby. Hi, David. Hello. Uh, welcome back to the Tally Ho. Well, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> this book is an oversized art edition from Titan Comics. It's coming out uh, in the month of the 50th anniversary of the US airing of The Prisoner. Could you tell us a little bit about the history of uh, the, the Prisoner? I presume it would have been originally uh, under Marvel Comics back in the 70s? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it was originally, um, it seems to be that during, during the 70s, I think Marvel had, um, they, they clearly optioned loads of different uh, and unusual things that weren't comic orientated. So they were picking up, you know, movie licenses and TV licenses and, and doing adaptations. And so they obviously picked up the... Uh, um, uh, the rights to do the prisoner. Uh, and so initial, initial first time round, they got uh, Steve Englehart, the writer, to to adapt the first episode, Arrival, or the pilot episode of the TV show, and they got Gil Kane in to to draw it. So uh, Steve wrote up, wrote the script, um, and he, like I say, he used the original plot and uh, worked it out for the comic. And he obviously had to, he only had, I think, 17 pages to do it in. So he had to condense quite a bit and, and lose stuff. But he, I think he still managed to keep the essence of the uh, of the show in, in his part. And then uh, Gil Kane took over and did the artwork. Uh, that's as far as that version got. So that got as far as the pencils. Um, and then what happened was that, Jack Kirby came back to uh, to Marvel. Now Jack had worked for Marvel, but then he went off uh, to join uh, DC, and he'd worked for DC for a while. And then Marvel managed to poach him back. And it seems to be that Marvel poached him back and said, "Look, you know, you can do what you want. What would you like to do?" And they sort of handed over all this stuff. And one of the projects that he apparently really wanted to, to have a go at was the Prisoner. So he had a pass at the Prisoner, and he, once again he took a rival as his starting point, and he did. I think it's 18 pages so one was 17 one was 18 but i could be wrong about that it could be both be the same length but i'm fairly sure that jack's was one page more and jack had had a go and uh 
he penciled it. And then the first six pages were inked by Mike Royer, the inker. And Mike also lettered the rest of it. And then Marvel decided not to go any further with it. And so the whole project was shelved. And it became, it became a sort of one of these weird things that, that, that entered into to comic history. So over the, over the decades that then followed, oh, did you hear that Gil Kane and, and Jack Kirby did versions of The Prisoner, but no one ever saw the artwork. And obviously, clearly, in the days before computer, it just sort of disappeared into, into legend. Uh, I know that Steve used the first page of the Gil Kane arrival strip. Um, he used the artwork, and he got it lettered and inked so that it could be used as um, a Comic-Con convention cover. Uh, and that was about the only time anyone had seen the Gil Kane stuff. And then it all disappeared, and then both sets of artwork got auctioned off. And so they totally, totally disappeared and vanished. And then over the years, obviously, uh, certainly things like uh, the Jack Kirby, who has, a, as you know, a fantastic fan following. The artwork started popping up every now and again. You, you see the odd piece in fanzines. Um, but it, it still remains sort of the stuff of legend. No one actually knew who had the artwork or where it had gone. And then years later, uh, Titan um, picked up the license to, to reprint this stuff. Um, which is where where I came into it all, really. Uh, so Titan picked up. Titan had this whole dream of doing uh, the Prisoner and reprinting the the Gil Kane, Jack Kirby stuff. Also uh, reprinting the Dean Motta stuff, who the, who did Shattered Visage, which is the only official Prisoner uh, sequel. So that was completely uh, endorsed and authorised by uh, Patrick McGoo, and he had um, he had sign off on every single page of artwork. And also uh, Leon Kern had um, had approval as well because they they both feature in the sequel, um, Shattered Visage. So we had the rights to do that. We had the rights to do the like I say the Gil Kane Jack Kirby, and we also had the rights to do the new comic, which uh, issue three is currently out now, and issue four goes on sale the end of this month, which will be the end of the first arc. But the Jack Kirby and Gil Kane stuff, my job uh, when I got brought in as the editor was to track down the artwork, uh, which took me 18 months to <laughs> to locate. Uh, now, weirdly enough, the Gil Kane stuff uh, uh, we found in in the first week, and it was amazing. And it was it was the it was the, quite an easy find because um, our glorious leader um, Nick Landau he knew the man who owned all the artwork, and so we got in contact with him and we agreed a, a fee, and he happily supplied all the original artwork to us in in incredibly high res scans. And you're, you're talking like uh, each page is over 100 meg in in, in size. Uh, and it was absolutely astonishing. But he had all of the Gil Kane artwork, absolutely, absolutely extraordinary. And so what I did there was I then got in contact with uh, with uh, Steve Englehart, the writer, and uh, who was terrific. And he actually had he had a couple of things which ended up in the book, which um, I I was amazed to find. One of the things he had was he still had uh, copies of his original Xerox of the original script. He still had those. Uh, so he was able to send me copies of those original Xeroxes. And then what I did was I got those, that script. I transcribed the script. Uh, and then I sent it to him to get, his, to get him to approve it. So it's exactly what he wrote. And then we got the Gil Kane stuff lettered by uh, an old school letterer called Rick Parker, who's uh, an American cartoonist who used to draw Red and, uh, not Red and Stimpy, Beavis and Byhead. He was the <laughs> Beavis and Byhead artist, but he's also a fantastic letterer. And so he hand lettered uh, all of the Gil Kane uh, artwork, which was fantastic. And so we had those two things. And the other thing that, that, uh, that Engelhart sent me was he sent me the original, or a facsimile again, not a facsimile, sorry. He sent me the Xeroxes of ITV, as it was ITC's original press release, which was an 18-page booklet. He sent me a copy of that. When I saw that, I thought, this would make a really good extra for the book. And so I then went to try and track down that to try and find an original copy. And I got in contact with the uh, Unmutual Society. 
uh, and got in contact with a guy called Rick Davey, who had a who had an original copy of it. He actually had one of the one of the ITC original press packs, and he sent me he loaned me his, and we scanned that and we used that and put that in the back of the book. And then Steve wrote me an article about writing the script. Uh, so we had these things that we could put in the back of the book. Meanwhile, I was trying to track down the the Jack Kirby artwork. So that was that was quite torturous. Like I say, it took me 18 months, and I went through three different layers of people to actually get to the agents of the man who owned the artwork. <laughs> but along the way, I kept meeting people who would tell me, yeah, yeah, I got the artwork, I get the artwork, I get the artwork. And so it would be great, fantastic. When can you get the artwork? Uh, not just yet, give me another few months. And so a few months ago, and I get back in contact, how are you getting on with the artwork? Yeah, 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 I nearly got it, nearly got it. Uh, and then we finally discussed money, and then it was a situation of, well, actually, I don't have the artwork, but I know who does. And so, oh, great. So then they passed it on to the person who did. Same thing again, which was, yeah, yeah, I can get the artwork. And it turned out, well, actually, I don't, but I know the person who does. And then finally, I got in contact with, uh, with the Kirby Museum, which is a digital museum of Kirby artwork. And they were, he was terrific, terrifically helpful because he actually knew the man who owned the artwork. And so I had to do a deal with him to get my hands on the artwork. Now, the, the person who owned the artwork uh, is an American actor. And he bought all of the Jack Kirby stuff in auction, which is fantastic. So he was happy for the Kirby Museum to have the artwork, but I then had to enter into a different negotiation with him to get the rights to reprint the Jack Kirby uh, artwork. And like I say, it took 18 months to actually finally get um, to get the artwork. And I can still remember it. it we finally got it, I think, last Christmas. Um, I got the first few pages. Um, well, not the first few. I got all the pages came in. And once again, those are high-res scans, the original artwork. And I'm not ashamed to, to say that when I open up those files, and once again, these were these are massive files. I mean, just humongous. Um, I actually cried because I was, it was almost the same as holding the original artwork in my hand because I, I realized that I was looking at scans of the actual artwork. So they weren't copies. This was as close as I'd ever get to actually holding the artwork in my hands. And it was beautiful because it was, it was, it was full color copies of the actual paper. So you could see the handwritten notes, you could see the pencils uh, on, on some of the, uh, on some of the Mike Roy inked pages, you could see the whiting out that happened. You could see the, the everything, the blemishes and all that sort of stuff. And it was astonishing. Um, we always knew that we wanted to do the original artwork at the actual size that the artwork was drawn. Now, luckily both, both the Gil Kane and the Jack Kirby had been drawn on a proper marble paper. So in those days, marble would actually get their Bristol board printed with, uh, with uh, bleed marks and crop marks and all the rest. And it all be, signed with marble at the top so you know it was proper paper um so we knew the actual size and so we were able to do the book so we could actually present those pages at actual size um so that was it really that was that was sort of that was the the challenge over we're getting all the artwork together and then what we did was it was amazing once it got announced suddenly my inbox exploded with loads of people who wanted to get involved and we got contacted by an american dealer who had actually uh paid to get mike royer to ink the rest of the strip so he'd actually inked all 18 pages and it was it was we were actually in the situation almost of being able to get our hands on those ink pages but we couldn't we couldn't get to uh couldn't couldn't agree a reasonable price to do it so unfortunately we weren't able to do that which is a great shame but i did i did see some of the other ink pages and they were astonishing but so the guy who did that was uh, was an arc dealer and a collector and uh, and it was his passion project to get this stuff actually inked up so that was nearly what happened but instead what we did was we put together this this wonderful book uh we also got mike orrid uh, to color up jack kirby did a spread he did a, a double page spread which was when number six is walking around the village for the first time and that was the first double page spread so pages two and three in, in the comic 
um, and he that had actually been inked. So we gave those ink pages to um, to Mike Allred, who then did a colour version, and then we used that to put in the back of the book as a, as a surprise spread. But we also used that artwork as one of our variant covers for the comic. So it was uh, it was quite a, quite a, a wonderful thing to put together, and so that was it. So the whole book consisted of both the strips, the um, Mike Allred color page, the uh, ITV press book, the original script, the lettered version, uh, an article on uh, the history of the prisoner, and then an article on writing the prisoner comic by Steve Englehart, and then finally we got a forward written by Mike Royer, who'd been the inker on the Jack Kirby, and he told a wonderful story about how um, he met Patrick McGowan, and he did a little drawing for Patrick McGowan, which was of Mickey Mouse being chased by a rover, Mickey Mouse dressed, uh, <laughs> dressed as a prisoner being chased by a rover, uh, which was just, it was just splendid. It, it, I, I, of all the books I've worked on, and I, I've worked at Titan for 10 years, and I put together some books I'm proud of, but for me, the prisoner sort of marks pinnacle it's sort of i'm so proud of that book of all the books i've worked on it's the one that that fills me with the most sense of genuine pride i'm so proud to have been a a, such a small part in in this in in the prisoner because i'm you know as we talked about before i love the prisoners it's you know i'm a big fan of it so to actually be able to be a part of it is just uh, it's wonderful so there we are that's the history of the book (laughs) in some ways it almost feels like um like you know when somebody discovers uh, a copy of a lost episode of something like Doctor Who that it actually still exists after all this time and they managed to to find it and restore it and get it out for people to see for the very first time it, it, it feels like a similar thing that it's something that was so almost completely lost to everybody and now it's actually you know through this incredible labour of love been put back together again and put out there for people to to finally to finally read yeah, no, absolutely. So I was, I was listening. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, uh, I think, but it's also that there's there's so many little fortuitous things. If this artwork had been split up, so if when it came to auction, more than one person had bought copies of it, this book would never have happened because there's no way we could have tracked down all all, all of the uh, all of the dealers. I mean, I tried loads of different ways when I was looking for the artwork. I got in contact with the auction house to see whether they had high res copies of the page, but sadly they didn't. So it was all those sort of things. It was like, can we find out where this artwork is? So the mere fact that that it was owned, that both sets of artworks were owned by just one person, you know, two people, but they owned one version each. That, that was incredibly fortuitous. But also things like getting in contact with Steve Englehart and, and finding that, that, you know, not only was he still alive, but he'd actually kept copies of his original script and all that sort of stuff, you know. So it was just, it was, it was so exciting to be, to be putting together. And I think, I think you're right. There, there is a, there is a, uh, a certain sense that uh, you feel like it, almost like a comic archaeologist. And I've been lucky in my, in my career to, to, to stumble across other artwork before I, I found a whole I found once found a whole stash of uh, TV 21 uh, strips drawn by people like uh, Bellamy and uh, Steve Noble um, Mike Noble not Steve Noble Mike Noble I found the original artwork of that uh, locked in the on the express vault um, they used to have an incredible comic vault um, on on the Thames in, the, in, the, in their basements and I went down to have a look one day and there was a a locked cabinet in the basement and they had a map of all the rooms so this room was full of cabinets and there was one cabinet and they didn't know what was in the cabinet and on the map the, the cabinet was blank but it was locked and no one had a key for it and so i said well would you like me to break into the cabinet for you and they said what you can you can lock pick i said well of course I can. i'm an editor we do everything <laughs> so i popped the lock and inside were, were, were uh, plastic bag beautiful hard copy plastic bags full of artwork original artwork from tv21 so that that was an incredible feel so uh, there is definitely a sense that that um being a part of it is that you know yeah it's wonderful when you when you find this sort of stuff and you sort of 
when I first, I'm not joking, when, when I first had those Jack Kirby you know, scans, honestly, the hairs on my arms were standing up because it was like, there's so few people have actually seen this. You know, it, it was, it's a fantastic feeling, honestly. It's, uh, it's, it's like a drug. It's seriously like a drug. You, 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 get, you get a buzz out of it. You know, if you, like, if you love comics, it's sort of, it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic, honestly. <laughs> I'm getting excited now just thinking about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, like I say, I'm not joking. That, that book did take 18 months to put together. It, it was extraordinary. It was such a, oh, such a, such a, a journey. So there is, there is a, it's like if you're a book collector, if you like collecting books. Now, for example, I, I love collecting old books, and there, there are certain things that I, I, I once had a collection of books that took me 25 years to, to get every every version of this series. And when I got the last one, there was a there was a double sense. One of Wow, I've done it, and one of great disappointment because it meant now that my search was over. So sometimes the search is more exciting than the actual doing it. You know, you actually get because once you've done it, that's it; it's over. So for the prisoner book, there was a great sense that while I was putting it together, it was still a work in progress, and you could still, it was still live and active. But now that now that it's it's finally published, there's a strange sense of sadness. It's like, oh, but I really enjoyed that. You know, that that's over now, so I have to move on to the next thing. So, yeah. Was it ever known why Marvel decided not to go ahead with with the original comic in the first place? Uh, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, uh, it would only be it would only be conjecture, and it'd only be sort of you know uh, thinking about it. I, I I did try. I mean, one of the things I tried to do when when I was putting the book together was I thought it'd be great to get a forward by uh, by Stan Lee. So I did actually. Uh, write to Stan Lee. And I, I, I have a friend who actually works with Stan Lee, so I actually sent him a message by him and asked him whether he'd like to write a forward, but he didn't want to. Uh, so I, I can only assume that they, they took a look at it. And um, it's, for example, you, you know that obviously Jack Kirby did, a, did an adaptation of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Have you ever seen that? I haven't, no, no. Okay, that's, that is, that's just incredible. It's like uh, he did a movie adaptation which was done as one of those wonderful uh, large format size American uh, Marvel comics, which was a treasury edition. He did one of 2001, and that is just bonkers. But it's beautiful because it's, it's pure. It's pure Kirby at his best. But then Kirby went on to do a 10-issue run of 2001, A Space Odyssey, where he took the original characters, or some of the original characters, and he expanded and he sort of developed their stories. But after about seven issues, it goes mad. Uh, he introduces a machine man. It becomes uh, much more like a strange sort of superhero hybrid. And it is, it is the time when, when Kirby is just, is just producing. He's like a machine. It's astonishing that he's able to uh, just keep producing the craziest, wackiest stuff. I mean, because he was like working as the writer, as the editor, and as the artist. He sort of <laughs> it's almost carte blanche to do whatever he wanted to do. And, and I think I think... Maybe ten issues of, uh, of um, well, definitely ten issues of 2001 was perhaps, I don't know, perhaps at least three too many because the first seven, which is still dealing with the, with the, some of the main characters, that was good, but the other three are, are bonkers and, and perhaps not in a good way. So maybe they took a look at the prisoner and, and realised that uh, it worked well as um, as a TV show, but maybe they were just nervous that the where it would go once they'd done it because obviously they, they weren't going to ad- um, adapt all 17 episodes of The Prisoner for comic. They would obviously take it in their own direction. Maybe they, they didn't feel there was there was where they could go with it because whereas it, with the TV show, you can you can play with the format, you can you can stick them in the Wild West because it could all be you know a mind trick or whatever. If you're, if you're kept in one location in the village, maybe they took one look at it and said, 
this is a bit limiting for us as a comic. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. There could be loads of reasons. It might be they decided to sort of uh, drop those that side of the adaptations and move back into superheroes. I mean, it's an interesting time for Marvel because you know back then in, in you're talking like the early to mid 70s, so they're expanding. They've gone from just being a little comic company. They're moving out. They're doing they're doing animated shows now. They're sort of looking at getting into TV. Merchandising is taking off for them. They've gone from being a small little company. They're becoming a big a big company you know they're, they're starting to have offices uh, uh, in new york and in and in hollywood so it might just be that they, it wasn't it didn't fit into their business plans anymore so we'll never know or maybe we will maybe that'll, there'll be a, there's another story to tell about what happened and why it didn't happen we'll have to wait and see have you had any insights into what originally attracted jack kirby or steve Englehart to uh, the prisoner as a property in the first place well, no, not no. I don't know about Jack. Obviously, I mean, um, you know, um, I don't. I don't know what. I, I think I can. I can guess what attracted him to it because I think uh, it sort of fits in. I mean, he was a you know big spy fan, and we know that he did that uh, that Fantastic Four uh, comic, which is uh, the Fantastic Four get trapped in in in, in uh, Doctor Doom's, uh, you know, and, that, and that's obviously like almost like a homage to uh, to the to the prisoner. So clearly, he was aware of it, and clearly, he was you know he liked it and it excited him. Uh, Steve, um, he was he was a writer working for for Marvel, and I, I suppose that there might have been other reasons. But I think I think ultimately it, it comes down to <laughs> it comes down to that you know, be you an artist or a writer or an editor, you've got a mortgage to pay, you've got bills to pay, and if you're if you're given a project and told you're doing that, you go off and you do it. You know, uh, it might be you know I think. Um, Certainly, Steve talks about um, in the, in the book. He talks about the process of writing it. Um, but what's interesting about it is, 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 is sort of how he wrote it. Or um, that's actually quite interesting. You know, it sort of uh, gives you an insight into 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 what, what it must have been like. Because I mean, those editors and those writers back in in those days, they were worked hard. You know, they were, it wasn't a it wasn't like it is now, where it's all you know luxury and and you know you sort of. You, you recline next to your desk and you do a little bit of work and then you take the rest of the afternoon off. It was it was much harder back then. <laughs> that, that's a lie obviously we don't do that <laughs> but I wanted to paint a picture where perhaps it was that luxurious to be an editor now <laughs> so who knows who knows I think um, um, I, 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 I think I think I think definitely Steve uh, was interested in the, in the TV show I think he found it interesting and he certainly enjoyed reading the uh, uh, reading the, uh, the script because obviously he would have worked from the original script that's that's what he was sent uh, and uh, he, he did when I was talking about you know when he was writing it uh, and I got a chance to read it and then to see it lettered which he had never seen because it never it never been lettered before so it was great to actually get to read it uh, as it was intended you know and actually you know we talked about that and that was quite fun because he'd obviously never had any feedback as, as to as to the way it was uh, that it was going to look at the end so uh, that was good and I think I think he did a, certainly did a good job I mean it was it's a nice bit of adaptation and, and what I found interesting is that even reading it uh, today it still feels quite fresh and relevant it doesn't feel like something written 40 odd years ago you know, it's, it does feel it still works to this day, which I think is yet again indicative of, of the prisoner itself, which is it does seem to have been ahead of its time. It, it was dealing with uh, with things that seem to come more pressing with each year, you know. So, uh, yeah. So although those adaptations uh, lasted one unpublished issue, Titan have produced a wonderful new uh, mini series, which started, as we said, I think at the top of the podcast, sort of three months ago now so it's up to issue yeah, three or four three months ago yeah yeah you know it really is a fantastic piece of work it fits beautifully in the world of the prisoner and it's but it's actually quite interesting how you've managed to have a story that that takes the mythology in a really interesting new direction oh, thank you and i think we're 
I think we read issue three earlier in the week. It ends on a wonderful cliffhanger. That's all we'll say. Um, <laughs> uh, so did the second issue. I think the second issue's cliffhanger is pretty good as well. It's strange because usually in a you know in a four part series, it often sometimes can feel like it's you know it is just one story which has been chopped up into four. It doesn't have that kind of serialized element where you where at the end of the issue you really want to pick up the next one. Now, in this case, we know that in, I think it's, yeah, end of July, beginning of August, we have the final issue coming out for that series. So although we're going to talk about that on a future podcast, are there any plans for Titan to continue doing any work in the world of the prisoner, either either through that, if it was possible, or or with other prisoner-related material? Well, definitely, uh, we, we, we're looking at doing a, a second and maybe a continuing uh, new prisoner adventure, so written by, by Milligan. So we definitely would like to to do more with it. it it's it, what we're doing at the minute is it's to seeing how what the response is uh, and what the sales are to, to the first four and also to the collected graphic novel if they do really well then then we're gonna we're we're moving ahead i mean we've um it was always our, our intention to, to if the sales were good enough to actually carry it on because i think we're all quite excited by it and i know i know peter's very keen to do new new adventures and new stories he's got he's got loads of ideas and when we were talking about the uh, the original four and what would happen after that you know i think uh yeah, it's it's exciting. It's, it's very exciting. But we're, we're also Titan looking at doing um, the other uh, Prisoner book, which is um, Chatter Visage, which was uh, written and drawn by Dean Motter. So that's going to be the next book, which is out next year. And that's going to be a collection of uh, of uh, the original graphic novel. Um, Dean's doing uh, – he's giving us access to some of his um, – some of uh, like um, – original artwork and uh, uh, character designs, that sort of stuff. And he's going to, um, you know, we're going to get an insight into the actual uh, making of that comic. So that's quite exciting in, this, in, in itself. Because I know that the Shattered Visage, that's the one that, that was authorised by uh, Patrick McGowing, and, and it's the official sequel to the actual Prisoner TV show. So it's also, it, it features what happened next, literally what happened next. So that's quite exciting. For those people who haven't actually read it, um, it it's, uh, it's certainly an intriguing uh, direction for the Prisoner. So, um, I mean, it's something that, that, that when, when we developed, and we talked about this, I think, on the last podcast, when we, when we developed this, uh, the first, the four-ish miniseries that, that you're talking about, uh, we wanted to, so we did discuss all sorts of things, which was, you know, would this, would this continue the adventures of the original number six and all that sort of stuff? And, and we went through loads of different permutations of what it could be before we, we arrived at the story that we wanted to tell. And I think what's interesting about the Dean Motter one is that because it is an actual sequel to, to, to the TV show, um, that's how it can be read. It can be sort of, you know, you could watch all 17 episodes and then sit down and watch the sequel because it was what Patrick McGowan approved, you know. And uh, and the funny thing is that, that Dean says that uh, that when uh, when Patrick saw the artwork, it was all approved. And, and, and <laughs> the compliment he was given, which was Patrick had nothing to say about it, which was actually apparently the best thing that could have possibly happened. <laughs> So uh, and and Dean always took that as a, as a, as a sign that he'd done a good job, and I think you know rightly so. Is that you know if the man who created the show has no comment and he passes it unchanged, then I think he must have done something right. So there we are. So that'll be out, and so that that will be that'll be the end of the of the original um, the original prisoner stuff. As you, uh, what I mean is the, the yeah the original prisoner stuff, and then obviously hopefully we'll carry on doing new stuff with the prisoner. So it's uh, I think I think it's it's far from over. I mean we've been. We've been very excited by the um, a how well the first issue did, and, and it did do it did sell extremely well. We, we were delighted with it, but also the, the, the critical response has been very good. Um, we we ha- we've had a f- we seem to have won some people over. So there were a few frosty reviews on the first issue, but I think people got almost worn down. <laughs> 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 or, or they maybe worn down is the wrong word, but they they certainly. 
I think we won them over. I think, I think, I think, and what is interesting, what you were saying earlier on about how every issue seemed to sort of drag you back to the next one. I, I know that I was very keen that, that with the four issues that we, we should have a, a cliffhanger element to it. I wanted to pull people back, and I always think it's important uh, with any comic that I'm working on that, that, that you want to drag your reader back. You know, they read one issue. What's going to bring them back for the next one? So it's quite a quite a difficult balancing act to make sure you're telling a good story but also giving a cliffhanger at the end which which will make a satisfying ending but also make you want to come back for more and i think that's what we've done with with the, with the comic is um issue one had the cliffhanger i know a lot of people felt that, that we wasted the whole issue because we know he's going to the village why wait till the end of the comic until he's there but i, I wanted to do that i thought that was that was actually a great way to do it which was you know and uh, and i i always there's a great thing that stan lee always said about comics is always always remember that someone's going to read a comic for the very first time, so it's all going to be new to them. So I felt the same way about doing a comic based on the prison, was there might be people out there who've never seen the TV show. So there's, there's no shame in, in doing a comic where you keep the big reveal of what the village is until the very end. And it felt like a great way to, uh, to, have, a, to have a cliffhanger, which is reveal it at the end rather than at the beginning. So we're just carrying it on, you know. It's, uh, it's fun. Uh, there is one thing that I really want to ask about issue two. Yes. Um, there is something in that issue. I'm not going to say what it is for the benefit of our listeners who are, who haven't read the comic yet and they're going to go out and read it. But is it a deliberate reference to the Danger Man episode of Colony Three? <laughs> is what I don't I don't know. You'd have to maybe maybe this is a conversation we have to have off the air. Uh, yeah. And then you can ask a question, and I won't feel bad if in case I spoil it for anybody. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll have this conversation after we finish recording. <laughs> okay. All, all I all I, all I uh, see this is tricky because I, I I have to be you know I have to be somewhat circumspect in what I say. I I don't want to say anything out out of school so to speak. Uh, definitely, we were we were very, you know, in the same way that the TV show. Uh, there's a, there's one school that believes that he is he is Drake and he's a danger man, you know. And there is another school that says no 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 he's a completely different character, you know. So so in the same way is Deckard a replicant or isn't he a replicant? It all depends on, on what 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 you want to believe. In terms of the comic, uh, he's definitely we never mention whether our character is a danger man, but if danger if danger man was a secret agent, our character is definitely a secret agent. So he might very well be. A danger man, but he is not definitely not the danger man. Does that make any sense? That does make sense. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and if you want to ask a question after, I'll tell you anything you want to know. Excellent. But as long as nothing's recorded. <laughs> so there we are. Wonderful. So anything else you want to know? No, that that's great. Um... <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us again. It's been wonderful talking oh. to you. No, I, I love it. Honestly, I mean, uh, I, I love the prison. I love talking about it. It's, it's a, I'm not joking. You know, it is. It is such an. You know, such a. I'm so proud of it. I'm so sort of, to be a part of it is wonderful. Um, I love the M, M package. I, I, I would urge everyone to go out and buy it because I think it's a. It's an extraordinary thing. It really is. And to see the artwork, to see the, the you know Jack Kirby actual size is just staggering. So I think I think it's a. I think yeah, if if, if you're a prisoner fan, I think it, it's definitely worth a, a look. Yeah. Definitely. No, we've we've already got our order in. That's fine, and then it'll turn up perfectly. Yes, and, and it is. Yes, it's, it just hope you got you can you can clear space for it because it's big. Is it going to fit through the letterbox? Um, you might have to wait in when the postman delivers <laughs> okay. it, or or maybe he could fold it and shove it through your letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> 
I prefer not to fold it, but to actually jam it through so that yes. the uh, the sides are completely sheared. And then they'll try <laughs> oh. several different attempts. Uh, often, often deciding if the short end doesn't fit, they'll try the long side just in case. Oh gosh, and, and, yes, I know that sort of thing. I, 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 yes, my postman does things like that where, where I'll get one of those lovely Amazon flat envelopes, and he'll fold it over and shove it through my door, and I'll, I'll have to remove a, <laughs> a nice graphic novel from Europe and have a nice big bend down the middle. It's horrible. But there we are. That'll teach us to buy things online. <laughs> Great. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure. That's okay. Thank you. Nice to talk to you guys as well. And I'm really glad to hear you're, you're enjoying the comic. I hope, um, I hope issue four satisfies. <laughs> <laughs> So we'd really like to thank David Leach for taking the time to talk to us uh, again about uh, The Prisoner. He was on the podcast, I think, two, three months ago when we were discussing the release by Titan Comics as well of the new Prisoner miniseries, which is written by Peter Milligan and drawn by Colin Lorimer. And that series is still ongoing. Um, It's up to issue three, Mm -hmm. I think. And uh, the last issue of this current run is uh, due to be out at the very end of July and the beginning of August. And that's going to be collected in a trade paperback, I think, in about two, three months' time. Yeah, we've been really enjoying it so far. And I think when the trade paperback comes out, we're going to do a fuller review of the, the whole thing together once more people have had a chance to read it. Now, off the back of that interview, hopefully you'll also be really intrigued about uh, the Prisoner original art edition itself. Certainly, I think David's enthusiasm for it is really infectious. And we've... Uh, got a copy and we've had a chance to read it a couple of times now. I mean, it goes without saying that the fact that the two adaptations of um, Arrival are in sort of one place and you can see them back to back by two really legendary artists is a really incredible thing to see, um, especially because they've, it's not that they've been lost, but it's clear that they've been floating around and no one's ever actually been able to uh, see them in such a um, beautifully presented format. And it's really nice because their work's in progress and they've been reproduced as such so on each uh, page you have very large format scans of the original art boards that were used and the artwork is often in pencil some of it has been inked um, some of it is uh, lettered as well it's interesting sort of to see almost like it's a you know it's like it is half finished mm. but it's it's nice to see how it would all come together and I think especially because it's a well the first version is um, a Jack Kirby work I mean, he's a legend. It's just incredible to see maybe how he was thinking about how he would present the story of Arrival, how he would compose it, uh, how he put it on the page, and also how, especially in comparison to the Engelhardt-Kane version, how both um, approaches were used to actually translate the same material into a, into a story that would have lasted sort of 17 to 18 pages. Yeah, for me, one of the really interesting things is how they both handled what are effectively the opening credits mm. of the show. Um, the Kirby edition doesn't begin with that. Yeah, It begins in the village um, and then very quickly kind of almost goes into a flashback of him remembering the last thing he can remember, which was being in London and resigning. Whereas the Enkelhart Kane version begins with the famous sequence from uh, the opening credits of every episode. That credit sequence is so... It's its almost a, a series of comic book panels in itself if you look at how it's shot and the way that it tells something wordlessly 
over the opening music, that it's, it's really fascinating to see what both of these comic artists have taken from that sequence and, and put down on the page and which bits have replicated and which bits have changed in order to make it look more comic book-esque. And I think it's hard because I think I went into it really excited about seeing the Kirby version just because I think I was more familiar with his artwork anyway. But having read both versions, I mean, they both have wonderfully unique takes on the material. The artwork is fantastic in both. Certainly, I'd be really interested to have seen how both sets of creators would have taken the story of the prisoner onwards. Um, I'm not sure if they would have ever have stuck closely to the premise of the TV show with every episode. Although these are adaptations of Arrival, it's clear they're just setting up a you know a premise that they could do in the comic books. And the fact that they could tell the story in such a short number of pages, and these were really creative people, both in terms of uh, how they wrote and how they drew as well, um, it's just really exciting to almost think about what could have been um, if these series had been allowed to uh, to actually carry on. But I think the other thing that's really nice about this book is that although it's got the um, two sets of artwork, the real strength of it is it's taken the opportunity to actually present lots of really interesting bonus features that kind of go along with the uh, comic books themselves. So um, we just thought we'd take you through sort of some of the things which are in the book they're all kind of unique and they and they really add value because they give you a bit of history to uh, how the project came about at marvel and also some perspectives from some of the creatives behind it on sort of how they got to be involved in it and what their thoughts are on the prisoner because i think i've yet to see somebody work on a prisoner related piece of media and i think it's fair to say that some of those things are more successful than others um everyone who works on the prisoner always loves it it's always done by people who love the show and although people debate whether you know the show should be left on its own or whether um they like adaptations that have been done by you know the audio dramas by big finish or the comic books in various iterations or the novelizations that have um sort of been set in the universe i mean i think they're all really fantastic they all have real strengths but i think in this case it's it really goes to show that so you know the the prisoner was really a huge thing and it really made people want to bring this property out in the form of comic books back in the mid 70s and i think that you know it just shows that you know 10 years afterwards uh it was it was still a huge thing it's still a huge thing today and obviously this book is being released to coincide with the 50th anniversary year of the show and i think it's a tremendous celebration of how influential the prisoner was in how it inspired other really creative people to create even more uh, because although Kirby and Kane aren't known for the prisoner at all, they're known as being fantastic comic book artists, um, you know, real legends, um, Steve Englehart as well. It's really nice that, you know, it just shows how this show was inspirational to other creatives as well. So uh, the book uh, begins with a forward by uh, Mike Royer, who did the inking on the Jack Kirby version. And so that's partially inked. And he writes a really nice uh, forward that explains... Um, a really interesting anecdote about his first, I think probably first and only meeting uh, with Patrick McGowan. It's a nice little story that sets up, um, you know, how he got involved in it and you know his work on the comic book and how he really likes The Prisoner and how influential it was on him and also how important McGowan was as well as somebody behind the show. Um, in addition to the actual two comic adaptations, 
What I really love is the double page Kirby spread, which is a uh, it's a reproduction of uh, this big double page panel that appears in the Kirby version, which has been newly coloured by uh, Mike Allred. And we've already seen an iteration of this in one of the variant covers of issue one of the new Milligan Lorimer uh, series. And it's just a wonderful picture. It's the kind of thing where if Titan did posters, I would put this on my wall. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a Kirby version of the world of the prisoner and it looks fantastic. And in the colors, it just, it brings so much vibrancy to it. Cause I think, you know, visually there are so many colors that are associated with the prisoner and it captures all these different things. Um, and it's nice just to see in that particular image, how uh, suited someone like Patrick McGowan in number six was to uh, an artist like Jack Kirby as well. It just captures you know, the world in that one shot. It's a beautiful double page spread. Yeah, it's, it, it's also a wonderful example of how when you're drawing a comic book in that way, you you sort of bend reality in terms of, you, you bend spatial reality in order to present more on a page than can possibly actually be in a viewpoint. Mm. Um, you know, if, if, if you were shooting a, a shot for a, a movie, you wouldn't fill it with that much information. And if you tried to take a photograph in Port Marion, you couldn't get that much mm. in a shot. And yet, he was such a genius that it doesn't look crowded. It doesn't look like there's an information overload. And yet there is so much detail here and there that you can just keep looking at it for ages and see new things all the time. It's just perfectly proportioned. And it feels like the prisoner, even though it's an exaggerated sort of crammed comic book form of the village <laughs> there's also an essay by uh, steve engelhart called writing the prisoner which is all about how uh, he came to work on writing the adaptation that was subsequently drawn by gil kane and actually it's a really interesting insight into how the property was floating around marvel as well and essentially there's some insight into kind of some of the reasons why it may not have been picked up which is a real shame, but actually it has left us with this wonderful book that we can look back on 50 years later as a new thing in the world of The Prisoner. And in fact, in the in the reproduction of the pages of uh, Kane's artwork, you see notes that have been added, presumably after talking to Steve Engelhardt hmm. about it, about changes that he'd hmm. making, like a guy in a bowler hat where the change is, no, it should be a top hat, hmm. things like that. It's, it's, you can see the collaboration going into it. Yeah, it's a unique thing about seeing comic book as a work in progress because it really gives you a feel for how it comes together you know there's a you know there's a script and there's artwork and then at this stage because they're reproductions of the um, original drawings that were done it's in that kind of phase where it hasn't been finalized and it's interesting to know like you say what you know what comments were being fed back and forth on how to improve it what changes to make um, and that kind of feeds nicely onto the fact that there's also a version at the back of the book which is the Kane artwork which has been newly lettered by Rick Parker so the version that's presented in the main format version in uh, the book is just the artwork on its own but what they've done and it's a beautiful touch which David also spoke about in the interview is that it's a, a copy of the page which has been newly lettered and alongside it they have the original uh, scans of the uh, Xeroxed script pages mm. so you can see how that script is actually turned into a comic book as well. So I found it fascinating because I do like reading books about how comic books are made. And it's 
really nice to have that from the perspective of these really unique uh, creatives who are involved in putting something together that we love, like The Prisoner. And another thing that's found in the collection is a reproduction of the original 1967 ITC press book uh, that was issued when the show uh, was coming out. And I think there's a reference to this as well in either the foreword by Mike Royer or Engelhart's essay, which talks about the fact that they were given the scripts of the TV show and also, I think, a copy of the press book, which is almost like a handbook that was given to uh, guide people through um, the show who are probably about to review it or start writing about it, almost like a, a set of cliff notes that you could use. And, um, you know, I've heard of this thing before. I've never seen a copy, um, but it has been scanned. So it looks like a really perfect copy on the page. And it's really nice just to see what kinds of uh, material were being produced alongside it, especially when there were attempts to try and describe the show, explain the show, talk about what some of the things that you might see in The Prisoner might mean. Certainly how, I mean, it's clearly a very vetted document in terms of the kinds of things that they discuss, but it's interesting that there was potentially a a way of introducing people uh, to the show, uh, probably aimed at, uh, you know, critics who would be, you know, looking at it, reviewing at it, and, and probably maybe were quite perplexed. I'm not sure how common these kind of press books were, but this was really like a primer to explain what was going on before anyone really jumped to the conclusion of just saying, what the hell is going on here? And of course, it wouldn't be a book about the prisoner <laughs> in the year of the 50th anniversary without um, a really great essay called uh, The Making of a Television Legend, The Story of the Prisoner, which is by Rick Davey of the Unmutual website, who's a friend of the podcast. And Rick has written a really nice uh, two to three page piece, which I think as a primer for the show really explains exactly what the prisoner was about, its cultural importance, uh, why it's such an important piece of television and the impact it's had over the last 50 years. And I think if you ever want to read something that really succinctly explains what the show was about, why it's such an important uh, piece of sort of 20th century culture, I think, and why it still pervades um, the world today and why we've been so inspired by it that we do a podcast about it. Um, it's a really beautifully written piece um, that kind of puts everything into context. And it's done far more uh, concisely than anything we could ever do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then finally, there are um, some sort of short biographies of both Jack Kirby and Gil Kane at the back. And I think this really shows the crossover appeal that this book has, because you're going to get some people who go out and get it because they're massive Prisoner fans. And they don't necessarily have much familiarity with the work of Jack Kirby or Gil Kane. So there's a lot of information in there about them and about their careers. But at the same time, there's going to be people getting this book who are just, you know, say a massive Jack Kirby fan mm. who just wants to see some of the original artwork and has maybe never read The Prisoner in their lives. So then you also have essays in there about The Prisoner and about what this show was. I think it's it, it's intriguing that you have something like this that has appeal within two almost completely distinct markets of people you know and then there's people like us who are in that tiny little bit in the middle of the venn diagram <laughs> in both camps <laughs> yeah so we'd like to thank david again for taking the time to chat to us about uh, how he put together uh, the prisoner original art edition um as always it was really fun talking to david 
And I'm really excited also by the fact that this isn't going to be the end of Titan's involvement in The Prisoner, hopefully. Uh, so there's clearly a lot of hope that the uh, Milligan Lorimer miniseries may return in some form, either as another miniseries or in a, a longer form serialized comic. Um, and also uh, next year as well, Titan will be re releasing the Dean Motta Shattered Visage comic from uh, the late 80s, which is the official comic book sequel to the TV show, which we're big fans of as well. So that's it for another episode of the Tally Ho podcast. We'd like to thank everyone for listening. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, please find us on Facebook, on our website or on Twitter. Just search for Time for Cakes and Ale. We hope you're really enjoying the podcast. Uh, we'll be back next time with our episode all about the 12th episode of The Prisoner, A Change of Mind. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, uh, please tell everyone about it and get in touch if you like what we're doing. Um, it's really nice to sort of engage with people and talk about what they think about uh, the episodes uh, themselves. And it's really nice just to watch the show along with everyone else all around the world as well. Um, and of course, as we always say, if you get the chance to leave a review, please uh, review and rate us on uh, places like iTunes because it really helps boost the signal about the podcast and uh, get the word out as well about the work that we're doing on the Tally Ho and also Time for Cakes Nail and Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee. Yeah, so we're going to be back uh, at some point in the very near future talking about a change of mind, which is coming up next. Uh, but until then, from the Tally Ho podcast, be, be seeing, seeing you. you.